I'm glad to be with you here today. Uh, I'm excited about continuing a series that we started a couple weeks ago called The Law. What we're doing is we're looking at the first half of the Old Testament. The Bible is broken up into the Old Testament, which is the first two-thirds of the Bible, and then the New Testament. The Old Testament is the foundational story of how everything began and and setting up for the need for a Savior. And then the New Testament is the story of Jesus, who is that Savior. So what we're doing is we're looking at the first half of the Old Testament, which really is the foundation, not just for the story in the Bible, but for the story of humanity, the story of human existence. And, and we're looking at how central the law is to that story, that God had provided. We looked in week one, in Genesis chapter two, God gave the very first law. And then in, in uh, uh, Exodus, the next book, Exodus chapter 20, last week we looked at the Ten Commandments, which were this foundational law, not just for the Israelites, but for us, for, for the United States, for the foundation of the United States, for any country that has a code of law, the Ten Commandments are, are an essential part of that journey. So now we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book in the Old Testament. It was written by Moses, who was made famous by the whole story of freeing the people out of slavery in Egypt. That generations of Israelites were in, were, uh, were in bondage and slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, and Moses was called to free them from that slavery, and they crossed the Red Sea, this miracle story. Then they traveled around in the desert for 40 years. And what happened at the end of that, uh, at the end of that story for Moses is that God said, Moses, you are not going to be the one to take them into the promised land that Moses freed them, took care of them for 40 years, and was told by God, you don't get to finish that part of the story. Oh, it's, it's one, of those, one of those, just one of those reminders that sometimes our role in the story is not to experience the promised land, but to set somebody else up to experience the promised land. That's what Moses' role was, and it was an extraordinary thing for him. When he found out God did not want him to take the people into the promised land, he didn't pout. He wrote the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is a, sem- is a, is a summary. It is, it is all that Moses said, okay, I want to make sure they understand everything. He redid the Ten Commandments and talked about all the basic stuff and just said, I want to make sure you understand. It was this gift that Moses gave to the Israelites that we get to enjoy now. And what we're looking at today is a key few verses in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6 that are, that are, that are referred to as the Shema. And they are, a, they are a critically important part of the Hebrew story that we're going to take a look at today. What I want to do with you as we get started is read two verses of the Shema together with you but I'd like you to do that uh, standing up in reverence to the Word of God. Would you stand up and we'll read together. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Let's read together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Father in heaven, these words have, have been ringing 
Throughout humanity for centuries, these words have been spoken and spoken and spoken as a reminder that you are the one and only God. You're the one we come before today. You're the one we want to we hear wisdom from. You're the one who created the law. You're the one that we want to learn from. So, Father, would you allow these words to come alive once again in our midst? God, would you speak to us Through the Shema, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat again. What we've been talking about in this series called The Law is that humanity needs laws. Humans need boundaries, limitations, restrictions. We we don't like them, but we need them. It's part of the human experience. It's what allows us to interact with one another. It protects us from any of the things that we could do that would that would hurt ourselves. We need laws, we need boundaries and limitations. If there are laws, which there are many in the Old Testament, there are hundreds in the Old Testament. If there are laws, then then these laws must be obeyed. They must be responded to. But here's an interesting thing about the Old Testament. Hundreds of laws in the Old Testament, but in the Hebrew language, there is no word for obey. This is fascinating. There's no word in the Hebrew language for our understanding of obey. The concept of, of responding to the commands of someone in authority Our concept of obey, they don't even have a Hebrew word for that idea. They don't have the word obey. When we read in the Old Testament, when we read the word obey, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, at the beginning of verse 13, it says, so if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you, you're going to find the word obey in the Old Testament multiple times. But if you look at that word, the word obey, in Hebrew, you are going to find, guess what word? Shema. You are going to find the word Shema. This is a word that is the closest. So when we find the word Shema, it gets translated into a number of different things because it is a richly beautiful word. And uh, and so the, the issue is that the Hebrew language has about the ancient Hebrew language has about 8,000 different words, 8,000. The modern English language has over 100,000, probably closer to 150,000. That difference is significant. What that means is that there are Hebrew words that are packed with meaning. Hebrew words that if you just imagine a suitcase and they just had to stuff a whole lot. It was like flying on modern airlines where you'd only get one little suitcase and so you've got to stuff it all in there. They only had 8,000 words to work with. And so what we have is, is, is kind of multiple words that capture this one idea of Shema. When I asked you to stand and read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first word was here. Hear, O Israel. And the word here, when you look at the original Hebrew, once again, it is the word Shema. Shema means both hear and obey. In fact, Shema could be unpacked to mean four different things. It means to listen, to understand, to be willing, and to respond. One word, all of that in a tiny little living space. All four of those concepts are are wrapped up in one word, Shema. 
You may recall in the New Testament there are times when Jesus is responding to people and he says things like, you, you have heard with your ears, but you fail to hear. Jesus says concepts like that. What he's doing actually is he's quoting Old Testament prophets. He's quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel who said this phrase, you, you have heard with your ears, but you, but you fail to hear. Jesus is not saying that you have heard, but you have tried to hear, but there's something going on with your inner ear and, and there's something you can't actually quite decipher the words. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying you've heard the words, but you haven't either understood or you're not willing, or you're not responding to the words that you have heard. You, you hear with your ears, but you fail to shema, to the fullness of responding to the requests of God, the commands of God, etc., etc. Shema is a richly multifaceted word. But it's not just a word. The sh- shema actually in the Jewish faith, has come to represent a collection of verses, sections of Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, from which I read earlier, and Numbers chapter 15. That, that there's sections of all of that that they, that they have brought together, 20 verses in total, and said, this is the Shema. This is a collection of verses that really are the centerpiece of the Jewish faith, that that those following Jewish faith memorize these verses, they say them as part of their prayers every morning and every night. The Shema is central to Jewish faith. Therefore, it must be important in the foundational story. It's called the Shema, and it's, and it's, the, it's the collection of the 20 verses. If I could look at the Deuteronomy chapter 6 portion of these verses, it, it begins... I read uh, uh, verses 4 and 5, and then it continues. Verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That what, what Moses is saying here in the book of Deuteronomy, this last book that he says to the Israelites people he, people, he just wants to make sure they understand this. You need to know the law. You need to know the thoughts and the words of God. So talk about them with your kids. Make them a part of your garment. Make them a part of your decorations in your home. You have to know what the law is. Going back to the definition of Shema, you can't respond to the law unless you understand what the law is. So Moses says there's multiple different ways for us to creatively embrace the words of God, what God invites us to and calls us to, etc. We have to know what the law is. Ignorance is not a viable defense. When we stand before the Lord and we are, uh, we are dealing with our, looking at our lives and how things all went and how we responded to this situation, so when, whoever that looks, whatever that looks like, ignorance is not going to be our best card. You know, it's just, it's just ignorance will not be a, a good defense any more than it is for our kids when they just say, I didn't know, I didn't know. How, how often is that kind of heartwarming? You know, you didn't know that you weren't supposed to hit your brother on the head with a bat. You didn't know. That's fine. 
But, but, but as, 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 as kids, if we hear, I didn't know, you didn't, you didn't tell me, you didn't say those exact words, that's not a reasonable defense. Nor, nor is it with God. We, we've got to know what this stuff is, and that's what the verses 6 through 9 of chapter 6 are all about. What I'm doing is I'm kind of circling around the Shema, focusing on Deuteronomy 6. Circling around this, verses 6 through 9. If I could go back to verse 5 now, that we, that we stood up and read that would be familiar for most of us here in this room. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Do you know what the word Islam means? We're all familiar with the Islam, with the Muslim faith. The word Islam is an Arabic word that means submission. And so the, the, Muslim, the core of the Muslim faith is submission to God, which is, which is an honorable thing, without a doubt. It is, it is an important, but it is the foundation part of the Muslim faith. The Muslim faith embraces the Old Testament, embraces the New Testament, doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord, but that Jesus was a prophet, and then adds the Quran. But the Muslim faith does embrace the Old Testament. They are aware of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. But, but this verse is not about submission to God. It's not about obeying God. There isn't even a word in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language for, for flat-out obeying. The focus of verse 5 is love God. Jesus, Jesus pulls this as a summary of all the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We are invited to love God, all of the laws, the Shema, anything that we think about, any way that we want to respond to God, it is not out of submission. It's out of our love for God. God doesn't want our, yes, sir, submission. He wants our affection. He wants our attention. He wants our adoration. That's the invitation to worship, that God cares about our love for him. It's, it's like, it's, it, God is not the Captain Von Trapp of the first half of The Sound of Music. Okay, that's not God. God is more like the Captain Von Trapp from the second half of The Sound of Music, the one we like. Edelweiss, Edelweiss. I mean, I don't know if that's helpful or if that's really going to mess you up, but... but but, but that's, that's the, it's the, it's not the early Von Trapp, it's the second Von Trapp. It says, I love my kids. I want relationship with my kids, not just flat out submission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So I'm circling around the Shema, and I want to back up to verse four now. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. Those Hebrew words have been spoken countless times over the, over the past centuries, over the past millennia. Those words, they, they're the start of the Shema and they really are the focus, the centerpiece. Chapter 6 Verse 4, 
in a world where other religions and other nations had multiple gods, Moses wanted to clarify, for the, for the people of the one true God, there is one God. There is not multiple gods. The Lord is one. He is God and God alone. This was such a critical piece because the law starts to break down when you have multiple authorities. When you were a kid and you asked mom for a fudgicle and she said no, what's the logical next step? You asked dad. You asked dad. You should have asked dad in the first place, but you go ahead and ask dad. And then, and then there's just, when there's division, when there's division among parents, then the law of the household is broken. When there's division, you know, so sometimes in families, you've got one parent who is gracious and, and lenient and wants to show love that way. No nudging, no poking. And oftentimes there's another parent, or sometimes there's another parent who is strict and consistent and wants to show love that way. And when that's a consistent pull, the parents are struggling with one another and fighting. There's tension there. And the kids are confused when there's multiple angles and multiple laws. And so Moses wants to say right off the bat, again, in a world that had, that had so many different gods and, and, and nations who were worshiping multiple other gods, Moses says there is one God, one set of rules, one source of all wisdom. There's not a God of the Old Testament that maybe we don't like as much and a God of the New Testament that we enjoy and love. There is one true God. There isn't a God that's going to be telling you, go for it, jump, jump, go for it, give it a shot. And another God who's going to be saying, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. There aren't two gods, one on each shoulder. There is one true God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is all so important for, um, for the Israelites and keep circling a little bit more. I want to land on the actual word. The Shema is a 20-verse section. It's, it's named after the first word, hear, O Israel. The word hear, the word Shema, which again is broken down into four different pieces. As you're looking at your interaction with God, the first piece is listen. Listen. Are you hearing the word of God? Are you reading the word of God? Before you get to understanding and responding and obeying and whatever that might look like, do you, do you know what it is? I know that reading the Bible can be difficult, particularly the Old Testament. You can read even the book of Deuteronomy, and there are sections in the book of Deuteronomy that are tough reads. They're, they're difficult, and you go, I, that's, that, I don't know why that's in. But you can't complain about the Bible if you haven't read it. You can't complain about the Bible because you read an article that says the Bible is this, that, and the other thing if you haven't spent time with God and said, God, what, what are you saying with this? We have to listen, not to what others say about about the Word of God, but listen to God Himself who has spoken. We have to listen. And then the second piece is understand. To, to not just listen, but understand. See, we're, we're not made to, for just blind obedience. 
We've been given a mind, and each of our minds are different, and we process information differently, and we have different characteristics, etc. And it's just so amazing that God has set up our mind to uniquely interact with the information around us. That, that God has invited us uh, uh, not, to just, not to just accept all in front of us, but to, but to engage with it. What's the, what's the most popular question of a, of a toddler? As they're, as they're inquisitive about life and they're looking around and they're just trying to absorb it all and they just consistently, constantly ask, why? Why? And if your answer isn't sufficient, within the first five words, they'll just ask why again. Because they just, why? 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 They just want to jump in. And after a while, we often have the same thing. Either we say, because I said so, or we say, because God made it that way. And we're trying to explain the, you know, the, the spectrum uh, of light and how that has an effect on colors. And so that's why the sky is blue and we're getting somewhere into that. And eventually we just say, because God made it that way. Because God made it that way. And you know what? If you're familiar with the story of Job in the Old Testament, that's essentially what that story is. It's Job and his buddies going back and forth saying, why? Why did this happen? Why did all these terrible things happen to Job? And their friends are discussing it. Well, because you did this. No, I didn't do that. And they're going back and forth. Why did that happen? Why? Why did that happen? And then in the end of the book of Job, God comes in and says, because I made it that way. That's really what the story is. God comes in at the end of that book because I made it that way. But God knows we are made to ask why, not just blindly submit, but to understand. He's given us the ability not just to listen, but to understand. But it's not enough to just listen and understand. Before we get to the response, are we willing once again, just thinking about kids. That, I, think it's, I think it's interesting to think about kids when we think about the first half of the Old Testament because this was really God setting up the foundation for his children. That it's, it, the people were really like children and God the Father was setting the groundwork for the whole story. And so they really were essentially like children. If you're a parent and you go to pick your child up, from a friend's house, from a party, and they're having a great time, and you walk in, and they're running around, and they're yelling, and they're laughing, and they're shooting Nerf, gun, Nerf, Nerf darts at each other, do, 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 do. and they're having all this fun, and you walk in, and you say with great clarity, okay, it's time to leave. What, what action typically takes place in that situation? Nothing, right? I mean, there's no movement. There's no, there's no slowing down of the game. Is it because they didn't, they didn't hear the words, that they're running so fast that the sound waves didn't have a chance to get to their ears? That's not the case. Is it because they don't understand that they run by and they see, who is this person standing by the door, stomping their feet? You know, you know who, what's going on there? Why would they want to take me with them now to their home? They, it's not that they don't understand the scenario. It's a lack of willingness. I've heard, I've understood, but I don't want to go. I'm not willing to go. It requires a willingness before we can get to the response. And the response is the obedience piece. The response is acting out, making decisions in ways that honor God and take us to the place we want to go. But usually we just jump to the response part. 
We, when we think about obedience, when we think about the laws, when we think about what to do and what's the, what's the wise thing to do, and this, this whole journal is about wisdom, and when we think about wisdom, we usually just jump to the fourth part. We just jump to the, to the response part. If we're evaluating someone else's obedience and how they're doing in their life, we jump to the response part. But what if there's something else going on there? What if someone is really struggling with the understanding piece? We assume they understand it because we understand it. Or or what if they're struggling with the willingness piece? We assume they're willing because we're willing. And so we we look and we evaluate and, and what's wrong with them or whatever. What what if the response thing, which is the thing we often focus on, what, what if that's kind of irrelevant in light of the other stuff that's happening there? What's really going on? It's a complex idea. The Hebrew obedience of Shema is a complex idea. It's a multifaceted idea. So when you, when you are looking at a law or a boundary or a limitation that you're struggling with in your own life, any, if, if it's something you've read in the Old Testament or read in the New Testament or, or you just believe that that's what God has for you, any, any law, boundary, limitation, restriction that you are struggling with that is not the easiest thing for you to do and you found yourself wrestling with it, where's the breakdown for you? Where's the breakdown? If I could, let, let me just, I'm just going to walk through what might be the problem in each of these four areas, and then we're done. I'll go through them once again. That, that if you're struggling with the listening piece, it could be that you're afraid. If, if we're in a place of just saying, I, 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 I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear the wisdom from God. I don't want to hear what, what I don't want to hear the word of God. Sometimes we say, I love the encouraging cheerleader God who says, you're awesome, you're great, you can do anything, you be strong and courageous, you, you have the strength of Christ in you, you can do anything through Christ who gives you strength. We love that cheerleader God, but then we're not quite as excited about the challenging God, about the about the God who wants to impart wisdom and perhaps challenge us in a way that is not the direction that we want to go, that we were hoping to go. It could be that we're, that we're, af- we're afraid. Why even worry about the response part when, when we're struggling with the listening part? Or maybe you, you're listening, you, 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 know, you know what God's saying about a certain uh, issue, but the issue is understanding it. If you happen to struggle with the understanding piece, it could be, could be that there's a laziness factor. Because it could be that we're saying, um, I'm willing to change. I'm, I'm, I'm willing enough to listen to what God may have to say or what the scripture may have to say. But it takes work. It takes, a, it takes work to, to read and to study and to find out what, what the Lord has to say. We, we, we want it, the pizza but we want it delivered. It's like, I'm, I'm okay with the pizza, but I want somebody else to drop it off. I don't want to do any work on it. But it takes work to understand. Sometimes it takes time. It takes meditation. It takes some thoughtful 
journaling, processing with other people, and, and there's, there, there are three options laid before me, and I, I don't know which one is the best one to go, and so, so I'm trying to hear from the Lord. I'm trying to understand what I'm supposed to do. It can take time, but we want the answer now. The understanding piece can take some work, and, and if, if we give up at that point, it could be because, it could be because we're lazy. If you struggle with the willingness piece, then it, it, it could be because we're selfish. That if we get to the point where we listen and we understand, we understand what God's saying, but we're not willing, more often than not, it's because we put ourselves first. And we just say, I, I, I want what I want. So look at, look at human sexuality as an example. And we know, we understand that pornography is harmful to us. We understand that in our minds. We understand that it has long-term negative effects on brain chemistry, that it creates ruts in our brain, synopsis that shape how we view ourselves, how we view other people, how we view our spouse or our future spouse. Pornography, has, we understand it has nothing good for us or for our future. But we say... I don't care. We're unwilling to make a change in that part of our lives. Or maybe it's about uh, other kinds of human sexuality and how we, we have multiple partners and, and we, under, we, we understand that, that that gives us short-term high and a long-term loneliness, but we just say, I'm, I still, I'm still gonna do it. It's still what I want. We understand that God has a plan for sex between one man and one woman in the context of marriage, we understand that, but we say, you know what, I just, I just want to live with her, live with him. I, I want to uh, try the clothes on before I buy them, whatever the philosophy might be on that. We understand that's not the way God had designed it, but we just say, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing because I'm unwilling to look at what God has to say about those things, about what's best from God's wisdom. What happens with the willingness part is, is that really we, we want what we want and so we're not willing to commit or to wait or to, to be faithful or, or whatever the thing might be. We could listen and understand and then if we're willing, that's when we get to the response part. That's when we get to the fourth part. That's the action step. And if that's the part where we struggle, then typically that's where we need help. That's where we need help. That's where we need accountability. We need a person, we need a group of people to, to pick us up when we fall, to carry us when we can't walk. That's when we need help. If we want to do this, the, the fourth part, we're willing, but we can't do it. If, if you struggle with the listening piece, then that's on you. That's no, nobody can do that for you. It's you've got to decide if you're willing to listen to the wisdom of the Lord. If you're struggling with the understanding piece, then the church can help. The body can help. We have groups. We have classes 
where we get together, men and women, when we come and we talk about a book that has been published or we talk about a book in the Bible, we talk about what's going on in, we li- in life and we say, what, what, what's your understanding of this? And we figure this out together. We figure out our faith together. If you struggle with the willingness piece, that's once again on you. It's on me for my life. It's nobody else can make someone else willing. That's, that's the freedom that God has given in each and every one of us. That's on us to decide whether or not we're willing. But if you're willing, then the response piece, if you struggle with the response piece, that's where the church can shine. And let me tell you, this is what I love about Mountain Park because this is where Mountain Park shines because we have a, a large number of people who have needed help in the past, have received it from other men and women, and they want to pass that on to others. Every Monday night at 6.30, you and your neighbors could gather for this thing we called Marriage Mondays. Every, any and every Monday night to come and just, if you're in crisis and you, you or your neighbors don't go to church, don't have any interest in church, just come, we'll love on you and help you with the marriage crisis. If you're an eight and you want to be a nine and you just want to kind of tweak and talk about some things, come. We've got a whole plan, a whole concept for how we can encourage you to go to the next level every Monday night. If you're a, if you're a man, every Tuesday night at 6.30, there's a gathering called Men's Hope for a group of men who are saying, I'm willing, but I don't know how to take care of this on my own. I need help. I need a group of men to do this with. On Tuesday nights at 6.30, if you're a woman, there's women's hope that gathers every week on Tuesday nights. A group of women saying, I'm willing, but I don't know how to do that fourth part. I need help. That's what the church is for. We're, Mountain Park is not just a pretty face on Sunday morning. <laughs> and and I, I mean DeAndre, not me. So. But there's just, this is the richness, the beauty of saying, I'm a part of a community. I'm a part of a community, and we need each other, and somebody needs you. Somebody needs you too. Shema, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema, people of Mountain Park. There is one God, one set of rules, one source of all wisdom. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament and not one of the 8,000 words in the Hebrew language is obey. We're not called to obey God. We're invited to love God. We're invited to shema, to listen and understand and be willing and respond. And through all of that, our Father in heaven just loves us and encourages us every step of the way. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray for each and every law that anyone here in this room is, is struggling with, any, any rule, any guideline, any, any limitation, wherever it's coming from, God, if, it, if it's from you, if it's your word, if it's the voice of your Holy Spirit saying, saying that's not the pathway I want you to go. I want you to go pathway B, not pathway A, whatever that looks like, God. For anyone here in this room who feels like, like you, your voice 
is guiding them and, and, and giving them a rule, giving them a boundary, giving them a limitation, God, I pray that we would shema. I pray that, that we would, would listen, God, and understand and be willing and respond. And in whatever way, whatever law we're dealing with here in this room, God, in whatever way it's, there's a breakdown, God, would you come and meet us in that spot? Would you massage that muscle so that we can get to the next place, God? We, we do this because we love you, and you do it because you love us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.